Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Desmond Johnson on the Believe and Carolina Panthers podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes. We're available in your favorite directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast on Twitter. On today's episode from the Charlotte Observer, Carolina Panthers beat writer Elena Getzenberg reports from Panthers training camp. But first, it's the opening drive. And welcome to yet another episode of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson, joined by my co-host, two-time Super Bowl champion, the first defensive player ever drafted by the Carolina Panthers franchise, first-round selection in 1995, cornerback Tyrone Poole. What's going on, Ty? Hey, Desmond. How you doing, man? It's always great to talk to the Carolina hopefuls and faithfuls. Man, I'm so excited that sports are starting to come back, although it's I know. Uh, tentatively, I guess, <laughs> with everything going on in Major League Baseball right now. It's kind of crazy to see that. And then uh finally got to see my boys, the Lake Show last night against the, uh, the Clippers. <laughs> Great game. Actually, both those games uh, that night were fantastic. Zion in the first one. Um, I'm happy sports are back. So yeah. uh, we got NFL teams reporting to camps this week. And, um, yes. Before we get into training camp notes, we've got Elena Getzenberg from the Charlotte Observer that will be on with us a little bit later reporting from training camp in Charlotte. Yes. Uh, Earlier this week, on Wednesday night, Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey was voted by the players as the sixth best player in the NFL Top 100 for 2020. Um, He is the only member of the current Panther roster on this list. Uh, He's only the third player ever to record 1,000 yards rushing and receiving in the same season. Marshall Falk from the Rams and Roger Craig from the 49ers being the other two. And I I didn't realize this, uh, Ty, but he set the record for running backs with 116 receptions last year, uh, which is pretty ridiculous when you think about it. Um, Coming out of the backfield, I I don't really recall him lining up at the line. He was mainly coming out of the backfield and getting dump passes. So that entire year last year... Uh, really added up. He was number 42 last year, so it's a massive jump. Um, and he is the highest-ranked running back on the list. Uh, the next guys: Derrick Henry at number 10, Dalvin Cook at 21, and Dallas is Zeke Elliott at 24. Uh, Ty, do you feel going into 2020 that Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league pound for pound going into this season? Well, first, I want to make sure everybody understands about this NFL Top 100 and how they go about doing it. Uh, yes, please, yeah, annual, please do that. Yeah, because I think some yes. people don't understand how these players are picked or what they are, because I think people think it's based off of what they did last year. But to, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this list is based off what they think they're going to do in the upcoming year, correct? Well, no, it's based off of what they did that season. 
so the NFL annual is an annual list that features the top 100 players, of course, <laughs> in the National Football League as chosen by their fellow NFL players. That's a great thing I like about it is those guys that play against those guys who look at them and they study your weaknesses and your strengths. This ain't nothing voted by fans, popularity and this and that. This is the guys who sit there and they tackle this guy, cover this guy, study this guy. So I like the list and it's an honest list. Uh, the rankings, of course, are based off of the seasons, the season poll, uh, again, organized by the NFL. So it's that season. So last year, it's last year's performance. It's not three years ago. It's not anything projected in the future. And also it's voted by uh, the players that are active to vote. When I say active to vote, there are some players that didn't vote in this. I know there have been plenty of times when I was playing when I didn't vote for a particular thing. So we don't know how many guys actually voted and how many guys didn't vote because that could change a little here, a little there, but more than likely the number's going to stay the same. So I just want to make sure everybody understood how they voted. And again, to be voted by your players and your peers, that's big time. Right. No, no, I totally agree. It's a huge honor, I would think. Uh, as a player, I almost would love this award more than some other awards given out by the press or the media just because it's coming from your peers, right? It's exactly. That's 100 percent correct. And so when you talk about Christian uh, McCafferty, you know, the guy, look, the guy had 200, just talking about the Russian, 287 yards, which was uh, carries, I'm sorry, attempts. Uh, that was fourth. Uh, 1,387 yards, almost 1,400 yards and, and 15 touchdowns, which ranked third. His yards ranked third. So, of course, the jump uh, was dramatic and the uh, Carolina Panther offense used him very well. He went over a thousand passing and a thousand rushing. So, of course, he should be in that top 10 of players that from a skill position uh, setting, he led that Carolina Panther offense and he led the NFL. So uh, honors to Christian McCaffrey for uh, what he accomplished last year. Now, the key is going to be, can he continue to put out those efforts year in and year out uh, from a high impact position as a running back. So Christian's going to probably have to do a lot of rehabbing <laughs> and <laughs> R&R time after these games, getting in that cold tub, staying healthy. You know, that brings up an interesting point that I'm kind of worried about. I know they just extended uh, CMC and he's basically the highest paid running back in the league as of this recording, because NFL you know deals are going off left and right right now. But I'm a little concerned that they – I know he's just he's going to turn 24 during the season. And if they were going to give him an extension, this was the best time to do it for a running back because, you know, you know they say about running backs in the NFL, to get to age 30, they hit this proverbial wall, this kind of thing, although that sometimes that's not necessarily the case. Uh, McCaffrey, by all accounts, is uh, very much in shape. Um, yes. He's, for a running back, I mean, 20s, mid-20s, late-20s, that's kind of their peak, correct, in terms of – uh, in the NFL, you know, the, the average NFL career is three years. So for a running back in particular, to get past year five, year seven, that kind of thing is an achievement in itself. Do you do you worry about head coach Matt Rule and the offensive coordinator Joe Brady uh, wearing this kid out? Because it, it's almost like having that toy on Christmas that, you know, nobody else in the neighborhood has. It does all these little things that nobody else has that can do. And are you worried that they're going to, 
wear him out before, uh, you know, before the team catches up to his talent? Or is that something you can't worry about as a coach, an offensive coordinator, in terms of miles on a player? I don't go back and you mentioned three years. Uh, a lot of times people get that three to five years. I think that came from back in the day when they used to use that measurement for running backs, mm-hmm. you know, running backs three to five years. But then they take, took that number and, and put it on everybody. Well, I, that's not true. Uh, I know guys that have played the game for 20 years. And and, and if you're a long snapper, you could play forever. Right. So they say three to five years for an NFL player. That's misscrewed. And as far as Christian McCaffrey, again, he comes from a household where his dad played. His dad knows tricks of the trade on how to keep the body healthy. Plus, Christian, he's a grown man. Okay, he's a grown man. He knows when to say when. And as the Carolina Panthers, of course, the coaches, they're going to demand that he get out there or he gets the ball on these amount of touches or carries or or receptions. But Christian McCaffrey, that's his body. He has to make his decisions uh, on what he can do and when he can do it. But at the same time, with technology, you got this cryotherapy. You got hyperbaric chambers. Technology, that's why Tom Brady is playing as long as he is. I believe he hasn't had any major injuries. And he has probably every piece of equipment known to man. So between Christian McCaffrey having a family, his dad played, Christian McCaffrey knowing his own body and technology, I think, and with the rules of how the game is played, really, you can't really just come up and just nail somebody. You can just trip them up, shoestring, uh, as they would say. Uh, So I think with all those I just named, Christian McCaffrey can play for a long time. Tom Brady Brady better keep his head on a swivel this year because the – the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offensive line is not the New England Patriots offensive line. And, you know, I, I'm i curious to see how Tom Terrific acts this year when he's got to probably scramble a bit more than he ever has in his NFL career. Um, and more first time for him with a new team. 21 seasons um, he's been playing in the NFL. Um, would you say McCaffrey's the best running back in the league? Like, would you? is there any other running back you would take before him if you had to choose – uh, if you had to pick a team right now and you got to running back, is there any other guy out there that you would give consideration to before him? Well, I think you have to look at what a player brings to your team. You know, if I'm looking at just straight running the ball, then, of course, you got Derrick Henry. You know, Derrick Henry is probably one of the biggest backs if you want to give it running downhill. But if you want to spread the ball, if you want your running back to throw, catch, then, yes, Christian McCaffrey, he is that guy. I said it time in and time out. You know, I think Deion Sanders is the best pure cover, cover corner, man-to-man cover corner. Mm -hmm. But is he the overall best corner? Uh, I would probably say Rod Woodson. Hmm. Uh, used to play the Pittsburgh Steelers. Rod yeah. could cover as well, and Rod had a lot of interceptions and punt returns, and Rod could play safety. Rod could play inside. Now, that doesn't take anything away from Dion, but Dion did what he does best. He covers that outside receiver. He shuts him down. But if I want my defensive back to do more, then I would have to go with Rod Wilson. So if I want my running backs to do more, then I would go with Christian McCaffrey. But if I just want to run the ball downhill – then I think uh, Derrick Henry is probably that guy. So, yeah, I, I would agree with everything you just said. And uh, with Derrick Henry, because of the way he's built, like you mentioned, I would imagine his his uh, 
his his span of playing at his peak is going to be shorter than McCaffrey because he's more of a punishing running back. He's probably going to take more direct hits, I would think. Um, and it kind of goes back to your Deion Rod Woodson example where I always looked at Rod Woodson, and that's a great point because I, I, I love Rod Woodson as a cornerback. He, he was more of a physical cornerback than Deion was. You know, Deion didn't really – not to say Deion was a punk or anything or that he didn't look for contact. He just – the way his game was, he just didn't really have to do a whole lot of physical – uh, things with, with Rod though, Rod would you know come down in the box sometime. Rod would ring your bell, you know, if you came across the middle. Like he, he was kind of known playing on those Steelers teams, and maybe that was part of it. That mystique of being more of a tougher cornerback than say Dion, who you know hopped around and kind of had a finesse kind of game going on. With McCaffrey, I guess you could kind of compare him to uh, Derrick Henry. I guess you could say McCaffrey's more of a finesse scat back type of guy, where Henry's more of a power back. Um, I always hear Saquon Barkley uh, mentioned with McCaffrey. And for the longest, everyone was choosing Barkley over McCaffrey. I think that's kind of gone away over the past 12 months uh, with McCaffrey turning in the season he did last year with, you know, the Panthers had nothing basically uh, other than McCaffrey on offense. Um, And he turned in the year he did, which is a great segue because we had been talking about this for a while as we we start training camp here uh, in Charlotte for the first time for the 2020 season it's the 26th season of the Carolina Panthers. And I was just kind of pondering this, who would we put on our players Mount Rushmore for the Carolina Panthers franchise? And at first it might seem like an easy question, but when you really start thinking about it, it's not so much about who the stat leaders are and uh, who leads this and who leads that, or who's here lately. It's kind of more about the franchise, like what these players meant to the franchise, like while they were here, Mm -hmm. So because of that, there was some people that wrote down, and I was like, no, because they were only here three years or something like that. But the more Mm -hmm. I thought about it, it was like, okay, no, that person probably fits. So what I wanted to do was each of us kind of nominate a player and and explain why we think that player should be on the Carolina Panthers' Mount Rushmore. Uh, So, of course, it's only four, only four selections. Um, And I was going to let you go first with you being uh, with the franchise from the very beginning. Uh, just to, to to rack your brain a bit here, who who's the first name that comes to mind for you when you think of Panthers Mount Rushmore? Well, I want to say this right here. Um, I'm gonna go back. Dion Dion made a statement. He talked about the Hall of Fame. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, he put it out on Twitter. Uh, actually, on all social medias. But he was talking about the Hall of Fame, and I agree with Dion. Uh, and it's gonna lead me into my Mount Rushmore. I want to talk about that. But Dion said, basically, every Tom, Dick, and Harry, you're a Hall of Famer. You're a Hall of Famer. You're a Hall of Famer. They let everybody in this thing. It's not exclusive anymore. And I don't like it. Hmm. So I agree with that. You know, when you say you want to put in, and you use the term Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore means to me that is granted. That's granted. That's that's something that can never, 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 never be uh, taken down. Uh, it worked back then and it's still working now. So, like you said, some guys have season performances that are great and some people have careers that are still untouched. So when I come up with my Mount Rushmore, my Mount Rushmore is a franchise Mount Rushmore, not a fan 
Mount Rushmore. Oh, he's a popular guy. He he had a great season. No, I'm talking about a franchise, Mount Rushmore. And when I come up with my factors, it's going to be the years of service to the team, like you said. Mm-hmm. And also it's going to be the ranking in the NFL. So when I look at how the person just the impact they had again with the team, then and now, and the career. So when I look at my list, I go with John Casey. Uh, he would be someone, uh, and I'll let you mention yours, and then I'll come back and tell yeah, you. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll go time. back and forth there. Yeah. I had John Casey written down here. I, I didn't realize he's the all-time scoring leader in franchise history by a country mile, uh, 1,482 points. Graham Gano, actually, who we um, just released this week, is second, but he's only scored like 700 and something. So, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone's going to catch – uh, John Casey anytime soon in terms of all-time scoring leader for the franchise, there's still yeah. a little bit of a uh, bad taste in some fans' mouths about John Casey because of that onside kick um, or that out-of-bounds kick in the Super Bowl that you played in. Uh, against yeah, people the gotta get over that, man. They really get do. Over that, <laughs> they really get do. Over that. I mean, it's been what now? Almost 20 years since uh, since that happened, and John Casey had a very long career in Carolina. He was one of the first original Panthers along with yourself. And uh, I mean, he kicked for how long did he kick? Almost like 15 years, something crazy. 15 years. And plus John Casey is number nine all time in the NFL in scoring. And he played uh, 15 years in the NFL. So people get over the kick out of bounds. Stop letting your emotions make a business decision. That's what we do. We let our emotions make a business decision. But John Case is ninth overall in the NFL with 1,970 points scored. Adam Benatari is number one with 2673, 2,673 points scored. So people get over it. John Casey uh, needs to be on that franchise Mount Rushmore for the Panthers. I would, uh, and I had him written down too. So obviously he's a, uh, a selection that we probably should uh, consider to be on there. I would think that somewhere along the way uh, that John Casey would be nominated to be in the um, the, the Ring of Honor uh, inside Bank of America Stadium that they're that they're kind of using now to honor. Uh, previous players, um, I I gotta go with Cam Newton, and I'm gonna start off with him because yeah, I know it's still kind of fresh in people's minds, and uh, he may be one of the most polarizing players in Carolina Panthers history, but I don't think anyone can deny that he's also probably one of the most talented athletic players in Carolina Panthers history. Um, I just wanted to run real quick. I'm just gonna run through. His, his awards, and the thing that people don't understand, this dude is all over the NFL record book uh, in terms of things that he did first uh, that no one had even thought about doing before. Um, in terms of his resume, of course, NFL MVP in 2015. He was also the Offensive Player of the Year in 2015 and a first-team All-Pro. Uh, he made the Pro Bowl three times in seven-plus, se- well, eight seasons with Carolina, uh, he was the rookie of the year, his rookie year in 2011. Um, he won the national, well, it says two-time national champion because he was on Florida's roster in 2008. Uh, and then, of course, we saw what he did. He basically took an Auburn team that would have probably been a 500 squad without him uh, to an undefeated season in 2010. Won the Heisman, uh, college football player of the year in 2010, first team All-SEC. He, um, his rookie year... He broke an all-time rookie record for passing and rushing yards by a quarterback, which still stands. 
He became the first NFL quarterback to throw for 400 yards in his first game, which broke Peyton Manning's record by 120 yards. Um, he also broke Otto Graham's 61-year-old record for passing yards by any quarterback in an NFL debut. Then he turned around and threw for over 400 yards again his second game in the league. And people forget that was 2011. We were coming out of a lockout. There was no training camp, really. There was really no offseason. And they basically threw Cam out there after a couple of preseason games, and that was it. He was the starter. He throws for 400 yards his first game. The next game he throws for 400-plus yards again. Uh, never did it again in his career, and I think he only passed 300 yards a couple times after that as well. But uh, the debut is just ridiculous. And he just has these weird records uh, in the NFL that I don't think anyone's ever going to really be able to touch anytime soon. He's the leader in rushing touchdowns by quarterback. Um, most games in NFL history with a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown. First player in NFL history and the most games with at least 250 passing yards, 100 rushing yards, one passing touchdown, and one rushing touchdown in a single game. Like, literally, he's like a video game come to life. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I wish we had treated him a little better when he was here in terms of tending to his injuries and whatnot. But just scrolling through, it's just a long list of just – records this dude has i don't see how you can keep him off a mount rushmore because on i mean honestly just reading through it he's the most accomplished panther we've ever had in terms of the only thing missing from his resume is a super bowl ring really if he had a super bowl ring he would to me he's a first ballot hall of famer if you put all that together with the records and the awards he's won um and then going to also what you were saying too what they meant to the franchise like Carolina to me, they're my favorite squad, but it always felt like we were overlooked nationally until we got Cam Newton. Like, other than 03, when we made the Super Bowl, Cardiac Cats, that yeah. kind of thing. And when we first started 95, uh, the initial uh, Panthers team that you were on, Carolina kind of gets overlooked a lot of times in terms of primetime games, uh, national games, you know, things like that. Cam made it where Carolina was cool to root for outside of the Carolinas. Like, he, he, he changed what people felt about the Panthers franchise. And I'll go one step further. He changed the league in terms of how the league views black quarterbacks in terms of them being able to play. Yeah. Uh, it, look, right now, who are the top three, four quarterbacks in the league? Two of them are African-American descent, Pat Mahomes, yeah, and uh, Deshaun Watson, and of course the lead, the leading, uh, well, the the league MVP right now, the reigning MVP is Lamar Jackson, who was rated number one on that top 100 yeah. list by the players. So that's three, right there. You couldn't say that <clears throat> ten years ago, you know, or twenty years yeah. ago that the you know out of the top five quarterbacks in the league, three of them are black. And I think Cam Newton, if there was no Cam Newton, that wouldn't have happened. Um, he opened the door wider. Guys like Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, those guys, they opened the door for a guy like Cam Newton. Cam came in and kicked the door down and made it where, you know, there's a black quarterback with a $500 million NFL contract right now, <laughs> you know, and Deshaun Watson's looking at it like, yep, I'm coming up here soon myself. So I give Cam credit for that. So having said all of that, I think Cam Newton definitely would deserve to be on this list ahead of someone like, say, like a Jake DeLome or any of the other quarterbacks that have played for Carolina over the 26 years. Yeah. Well, I, I go and I look again, you know, Cam, I like him. Cam did a great job, uh, but Cam is on my honorable mention uh, for Mount Rushmore. Ooh, uh, he did a great job. Uh, and when I go again, I'm looking at 
the impact. Remember what I said, my definition was. That's why I believe you always give a definition and a standard uh, for then and now. Now, like I said, it's taking, it takes nothing away from Cam Newton. He's a great quarterback. He's uh, I would definitely have him on my team. But when you're talking about Mount Rushmore, this is something you're putting etched in stone, that it's going to be there then and it's going to be there forever. So when I even look at the fact that, you know, did Cam have the most yards uh, as far as uh, a season? Well, uh, if I'm not, if, if I, I stand corrected, but I think the guest we had on previously, Steve Berline, has the most yards yeah. for a season. Yeah, he so does. If you go put somebody on Mount Rushmore, they got to have records that basically, when you look at it, you see their name, you see their name. That's why I say you go back to John Casey. Every record that Carolina has as far as scoring that a kicker can be involved in is John Casey. John Casey. So again, I go back, I look at Cam. He played nine years in Carolina. Now again, it takes nothing away from Cam. Okay. Um, when I look at the league of passing, you look at Drew Brees, Peyton, you can go all the way down, Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, John Elway, Matt, even Matt Ryan. You know, Matt Ryan has, he's been with Atlanta forever, so to speak, from 2008 up until now. But he has 51,186 yards. Warren Moon, uh, 49,325 yards. So if I'm looking at Cam, I'm like, yes, I understand he's moved on but he's been with the Panthers with you know those nine years and he has 25,074 yards from what I see based off of the data from the Carolina Panthers so definitely I believe that he is in line but do you put him up there as a standard for that passing offense passing as a quarterback for the Panthers I think that still has to be seen plus uh, the Carolina Panther franchise is only 25 years old so I think that plays a weight in it as well but as of now yes I do like Cam but I'm waiting before I put him up there on that Mount Rushmore okay so my goal over the rest of this podcast is to convince you that Cam deserves a spot then because uh Yes, you're right. Steve Berline does hold the record single season for the Panthers. It's 4,400-plus yards uh, passing. We just had him on uh, recently on the Believe in Panthers podcast. That number you gave for passing yards for Cam, I had a different number. I have 29,041 yards, uh, and he's listed as the all-time passing leader in Panthers history um, with, uh, I think it was Jake DeLum was right behind him. But, uh, yeah, Cam is the all-time passing leader in franchise history, uh, and, and keep in mind, he didn't play last year. He basically played two games. So that's probably another 3,500 yards if he had played through the season that would probably have been added to this total. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the season before, the four games at the end of the year. So it kind of got skewed a little bit uh, with injuries here the last, like, year or so. But um, uh, he, he is listed as the all-time passing leader. Uh, he's actually tied with Jonathan Stewart uh, for the franchise record for rushing touchdowns with 58, uh, which is – Pretty remarkable, considering he's a quarterback. Um, mm-hmm. Who who was uh, the second guy you were going to nominate for the Mount Rushmore? Uh, well, I have Julius Peppers, and oh, I just going to get my name, my number, Dean. I don't know how long you know we may go at this all day, yeah. uh, but I have John Casey. Julius Peppers, Steve Smith, and Michael Bates. But the next one in line would huh. be uh, not in no particular order, but Julius uh, Peppers. And when I look at Julius Peppers, again, you look at the sack uh, leaders. Again, I'm looking at not fan Rushmore, franchise Rushmore. So this is when you turn and you look at, okay, who is the best? 
who did this, who did that. I'm looking at the numbers. Cause like to say the camera, the eye in the sky don't lie and the numbers don't lie. Okay. Write-ups and articles, they can lie, but uh, numbers don't lie. So when I look at Julius Peppers, of course, the guy played a lot of years, played eight years actually here in Carolina. Uh, defensive end got 92 uh, uh, sacks from the information that I got from the, the Carolina website. Uh, so uh, the guy did what he was supposed to do, and he's ranked high when it comes to the actual sack leaders in the NFL. You got Bruce Smith with 200, Reggie White with 198, and you go on down, you got uh, Julius Peppers, who has 130-some-odd sacks, mm -hmm. but he's ranked very high. Actually, no, I'm sorry, 159 and yeah, a half sacks. Let me correct that. I so he's like fourth all-time or something, yeah. This guy, yes, sack leaders in the NFL all time. So Julius mm -hmm. Peppers has to be up there. Of course, he played with some other teams, but he spent uh, a lot of his career, eight years, I believe, with the Carolina Panthers. So uh, that's my reason for he should be uh, on Mount Rushmore. That's a, you know, I didn't write Pep down, and I just now realized I didn't write him down. And I think part of it subconsciously for me is because he did leave, and it wasn't – he left on Get over your own. emotion, Desmond. Get over I, your emotions. <laughs> he left on it. It wasn't, like the, it wasn't like the team pushed him out. They were actually trying to push him into a more of a leadership role. And I remember back then when he left, it almost felt like as a fan, and I'm just saying this as a fan back then, I've forgiven him since then, but it felt like he was shying away from what the franchise was trying to uh, give to him in terms of being more of a leader. And I know Pep's not really the – the vocal guy that, you know, they wanted him to be and that kind of thing. That's just not what he is, uh, never has been. But I think for some reason I didn't put him on mine because he didn't spend the majority of his career here. I guess you could say about half his career he spent here, uh, the rest in Chicago and, and uh, Green Bay. Um, I had Cam Newton, Jonathan Stewart, Steve Smith, and John Casey. But John Casey had an asterisk beside it because I wasn't sure because there was other guys. I was like, okay, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about that guy? Jonathan Stewart's the all-time rushing leader in franchise history, although he was kind of a tough choice as well. But I wanted a, you know, a running back of some sort there, and I guess you could say he's, I guess you could say he's our best running back in franchise history uh, based on the numbers. And then of course Steve Smith, fan favorite to this day, uh, all-time receiving leader in franchise history, over twelve thousand yards receiving for his career, uh, which I think makes him top ten all-time as it stands currently today, uh, and eight hundred thirty-six receptions. So. Uh, probably a borderline Hall of Fame candidate. I know there's a glut of wide receivers in front of him that have not gotten in yet, so that might cause him to wait a little bit if he gets in at all. Um, but, I, of course, Steve Smith would probably have to be on there. I have a question about Sam Mills, because Sam Mills has a statue, doesn't he, in front of the stadium? Um, don't you think that he probably should get consideration on a Mount Rushmore if they thought enough of him to do that? He, he only played three years here, his last three years, in fact. But the impact, like we, like you said, going back to that, it, sometimes it's not just numbers. Sometimes it's the impact of a player. And in 95, you, along with Sam Mills and, you know, those boys on the defense, you kind of gave Carolina identity right away. I went back today and looked at Sam Mills' uh, 95 season in Carolina, his first year here. I did not realize that Sam Mills had five interceptions in 1995 playing an inside linebacker. Five forced fumbles. He recovered four of them, and he had four and a half sacks. 
So my man was all over the place in 95. Like, I didn't realize that he had that many interceptions. Five is a lot for a linebacker. And, uh, you know, he. I, I still can recall the one of those interceptions that he caught uh, maybe two, three yards off the line of scrimmage. And I can't remember what it was against. It might have been San Francisco. And he, he runs it the other way, gets in the end zone. Um, just great, great memories from that, that inaugural 95 season. Would you – consider Sam as one of those faces on that Mount Rushmore? Yeah, you mentioned Sam and the five interceptions. Again, what I look at also is the impact the person had just an individual. Like defense, Sam played a God rest his spirit. Uh, Sam played, uh, I was there, I know this for a fact, we played in a 3-4. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the linebackers would blitz and sometimes they would drop back off in coverage. So the 3-4 defense was made to uh, really cause problems with the blocking scheme, which then would put a lot of pressure on the quarterback and force those offenses to throw uh, dink and dunk passes. And if you put yourself in the right position, you can get a lot of interceptions. But definitely I think Sam uh, has – uh, a, 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 a place in the conversation and because that's where they keep pounding, you know, right. exactly. From. So yeah. Uh, yeah. again, fan Rushmore franchise Rushmore, but definitely um, Sam uh, needs to be uh, in that room of, 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 of conversation. And definitely he uh, is exemplifies the spirit of the people, uh, the spirit of the Carolina Panthers fans. So uh, definitely, you have to consider Sam. You know what? After just hearing that from what you just said, I almost want to put Sam first on my list because the impact is so great from not just the three years he was here playing because he didn't also coached uh, with Carolina after that. And like you just pointed out, the the motto of the Panthers that everyone in the league knows is keep pounding. That came from Sam Mills. Uh, and, that's, and that's lived on beyond him. And that's a true testament to – being able to impact a franchise when something you do or say lives beyond you with that franchise to the point where it's synonymous with the name Carolina Panthers at this point. That came from him and his work ethic and what he was about. And all Panther teams really after him have tried to mold themselves along that motto to no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much, how down we get, no matter how many players get hurt or whatever happens to us, we have to keep pounding. Like we we owe it to ourselves and to Sam Mills to keep pounding. That's what we do. So for me, I'm moving Sam to the top of the list. I think you, if you're going to do a Mount Rushmore Panther players, you have to have Sam Mills on there probably first in that George Washington slot. To me, I mean, he's just kind of he's almost he's almost become like a forefather of the Panthers franchise in terms of th- those guys you think of that were here at the very beginning that set the, the set the standard for what Panthers would be over the next quarter century. And I include you in that as well, Ty, you know, the guys that were here at the very beginning and set the standards for which every Panther team after would have to meet. And well, that's why, well, yeah, that's why ahead. I said that, that when they were talking about the statues, I said, that's why they should put the 19, the, the inaugural team as a front face for whatever if there's a big plaque or a big whatever uh the front office and the players the organization those people that started that franchise again remember my definition of mount rushmore okay is people that supposedly did something that impacted then and now 
Just like you said with Sam Mills, what he did then is still, God rest his spirit, is still being felt now. To me, that is Mount Rushmore. This mm-hmm. is not, that is not a season. Oh, you had uh, uh, 2,016 yards rushing, but then rest of your years, you're barely getting over 1,000. So you had a season for a moment. But I'm looking at what did you do then and is it still impacting now? So, again, I definitely, like you said, Sam Mill should be in the, the play. And that's why I said if they're looking to try to put something as far as a statue or something in front of that stadium, the North Gate, I think, then they should put a big plaque of everybody that was on that original first team. Because that first team, like you said, set the standard for what you see now as what a Carolina Panther should be. Uh, Desmond Johnson here with you with uh, Tyrone Poole, the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. You can find this on the Believe Podcast Network, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and much, much more. I I, got to ask this question, though, because when you gave me your four, there was one name that popped out. I was like, oh, really? Why do you have Michael Bates on your Mount Rushmore? Well, I'm glad you asked that. You go back to (laughs) most special team guys. You look at Brian Mitchell. Allen Rawson, look at uh, Mel Gray, Dante Hall. These are some great guys. Okay, if you're looking at kick return yards, uh, Michael Bates is seventh in the NFL, period. Wow. Seventh. Uh, Michael Bates played – how many years Michael Bates played here in mm. Carolina? It wasn't very. It wasn't a long. I think about three years. No, he played south. seven years. No, Was Michael seven? played seven years. He oh, played wow. seven years here in Carolina. So you can go back and look up his stats. Yeah, he came in 96, and he left in 2002. And then I think they brought him back again for a year or two. So That's Michael played right. about seven years. Yeah. So to me, when I came up with my standards, it had to be somebody who played a significant number of years. And that's why I said service to the team and ranking in the NFL. So uh, seven years to me is quite amount of service to a team and then you go look at michael bates he uh again i played with the guy i saw him firsthand uh it's almost like christ you know a lot of us didn't <laughs> walk with christ but there are those who walk with christ and say hey i saw it walk on water so <laughs> but, uh, so um you know michael was on the all 90s decade team he wow, uh, he was he yeah was i'm saying right there now yeah, he had Pro Bowl records. He got 17 career returns and 488 yards based off of information that I was able to dig up, 488 return yards as a Pro Bowler. So the guy was a threat. He was a threat to the point where they would not even kick the ball to the guy. Mm-hmm. So kind of like, like a Devin Hester, there, so. kind of like Devin Hester yes. before Devin Hester. Yeah, you know, like exactly. Yeah. Now I'm looking. I'm looking at his career. He had three stints with the Panthers. He was on the inaugural team in '95. Uh, it looks like for part of that year, and then it looks like he finished the year with Cleveland. Came back in '96. So these are '96 through 2000. Left again. Came back 2002 to 2003. So he's here for two more seasons. And then it looks like in '03 he finished with the Jets and the Cowboys. But yeah, you're right. Five-time Pro Bowler, five-time All-Pro, uh, '90s All-Decade Team, Kick Returner of the Year in '96. Uh, I didn't. Except he's a two sport athlete. I didn't realize that uh, he won the bronze in the two hundred meter dash in ninety two in the Olympics. So my man was fast. I knew he was fast. Was but, yeah, you know, I, I remember being world class speed fast. It's starting to come back to me a little bit now. Um, but wow, yeah, that's 
That's pretty incredible. So, okay, Michael Bates. Because you said it, I was like, Michael Bates, really? But you you explained it perfectly. So (laughs) So these are guys that the numbers don't lie. So if you can say what you want to about their character, you can say whatever you want to about this and that, but the numbers don't lie. So if you want to break the Carolina Panthers record for returns, uh, kick return yardage, you got to go see Michael Bates. If you want to break the records uh, in receiving, which Musiyan Muhammad, you know, I gave him a Honorable mention too because he along with Steve mm-hmm. Smith, you know, they had a pretty good tandem there. The quarterback only throw the ball to one guy. But if you give Musia Muhammad the same number of opportunities, I think he puts up the same amount of numbers. But if you want to break receiving records, you got to go see Steve Smith. If you want to break the Panthers uh, sack record, you got to go see Julius Peppers. If you want to break the Panthers scoring record for points, you got to go see John Casey. So those are the Mount Rushmore for Tyrone Poole. Uh, Desmond Johnson, Tyrone Poole here with you on the Believe in Panthers podcast. And I I did want to touch on it real quick. We've got Elena Getzenberg coming up next uh, from training camp in Charlotte. Uh, This week, Ty, the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, had five positive coronavirus tests uh, in their building. Uh, The rookies have been sent home. Um, Your thoughts on how this is going to play out? Because we've been waiting on this week, really since we started this podcast a month or so back, uh, and we kind of pinpointed it as the week we would find out what exactly the NFL was going to do with this. Uh, we've seen Major League Baseball schedule disrupted by uh, last time I checked, my, the Miami Marlins had like 19 players and coaches infected right now. They, they're basically uh, in seclusion. Uh, last, I also checked the uh, St. Louis Cardinals now have some positive uh, tests themselves and having to cancel games on uh, over the weekend. Not as easy to do in the NFL. Um, uh, As far as of this taping, there have been no positive tests with the Panthers per se. But what are your thoughts on this as a former player um, with the way the NFL has this set up in terms of players being able to opt out of this season and it doesn't affect their free agency? Can you kind of take us through the motions of what you would be deciding if you were – granted, I know it would be different if you're 23 years old compared to 30 years old and you're having to make this decision – um, where do you think you would stand on this? You know, if the season's coming up and uh, if you were an active player playing for Carolina, would 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 the idea of opting out cross your mind or is it something where you wouldn't even think about it, like you're going to play this season? Yeah, well, you always want to consider your health. You also want to consider the present and the future. Uh, again, just bring people up to speed. July 24th, the NFL and the NFL Players Association reached an agreement uh, that allows players to opt out. So the NFL said, hey, anybody is free to make a decision not to play in 2020. So the NFL, okay, we're looking out for your health and you know your situation. A lot of guys going to opt out because they have maybe some health conditions that are underlining. And yes, they put themselves in more of a dangerous situation because if the provider is not there, then how does the family uh, continue in the future? So those are some great, important decisions one has to make. And then on the other hand, NFL says, uh, if you're just voluntarily, there's two types of options here. Uh, You got those who voluntarily are going to opt out and they're going to get a cash reward for that season. Uh, but if you opt out and you have some type of medical condition, you're going to get some type of reward. OK, and that from my notes, that reward may be if you have an underlying high risk uh, medical condition, you're going to get around three hundred and fifty thousand for the season. 
Uh, and for those who opt out voluntarily, like, hey, I just don't want to play, then I think they're going to get a maybe around 150000 for the season. I think all this is still being voted on by the 32-team player representatives, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but that is what they are agreeing on. And if you are an undrafted rookie and you opt out, uh, voluntarily, then you're not eligible to earn that $150,000 stipend. So uh, there are a lot of decisions that these guys have to make. And of course, if you've been playing for a while, you probably got a little bit of nest egg saved up. But if you have not and you're just starting out, then you may have to look at, OK, what's best for what I'm trying to do now and for my family. Um, the only one Carolina Panther has opted out uh, as of this recording. Um, he was, uh, like you said, undrafted rookie linebacker Jordan Mack. He opted out of the 2020 season uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. He is the first Panther to do so. Uh, I was kind of playing with this myself with them being such a young team. The Panthers clearly are the probably the youngest team in the NFL going into 2020. Do you expect other Panthers to opt out? Like more bigger names? Well, you know what? I think sometimes the, the older you are, I think you probably – understand the risk you understand the safety procedures and most of the time it's just us as individuals doing what we can do to best prevent and the people that actually get in trouble it's like a speeding ticket you only get caught speeding when you're speeding now of course <laughs> you could get pulled over for you know anything anything can happen in this world but more than likely if you do what you're supposed to do you go to speed limit you speed limit you wear your mask you wash your hands you limit the distance whatever it is that they're trying to tell you to do then you prevent and decrease but if you're going to act a fool and go out and still live the life and interact with people that you used to do when this pandemic is telling us okay hey let's slow down let's review for a little bit then of course you're going to put yourself in dire straight situations and you know, not only talking about the Panthers, but uh, you look at the NFC South. The Panthers, of course, like you said, Jordan Mack, he's the only Panther. The Bucks, the Buccaneers have nobody mm-hmm. right now that has opted out. The Falcons have nobody that has opted out. And the Saints actually have two people, I believe, two tight ends. Cole Wick, I believe, is one tight end, and Jason uh, Land. Uh, he's the other tight end. So the Saints have two people, but none of their core people, like you said, the superstars, so to speak, have said we're not going to show up. I mm-hmm. think the I uh, look at the, the numbers, the Patriots, on the other hand, uh, just talking about the whole NFL, they have the most players that have opted out, which is eight as of this moment. And. They have some big names, uh, Dante Hightower, yeah, yeah. The middle linebacker, and, and Patrick Chung. So how does this affect when your superstars opt out? How does it affect your team now? So uh, the Panthers really don't have anybody who has opted out that is, quote, unquote, that guy. And it, it didn't sound like head coach Matt Rule when he was being interviewed earlier this week. Um, it didn't sound like he was too worried about it. It sounded more like he, he, he said the right thing. He said basically, you know, our team's relatively young. It's, it's different for each individual player, so it's really hard for him to say if he knows if someone's going to opt out or not. Um, but he said, you know, they'll handle that as it happens, and he seemed very um, supportive uh, for a player if they decide to go that route and to opt out. Uh, Roto World actually has an ongoing list of uh, players that are opting out. The If you Google NFL opt-out tracker, you can actually see this article written by John Daigle 
Uh, he updates it daily, and he's putting on the players that are voluntarily opting out. And I'm just scrolling through, just looking at some of the bigger names. Uh, Damian Williams, uh, the starting running back for the Chiefs, uh, he's he's uh, opted out. Uh, his mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer, so he's opted out for the season. Nate Soldier, uh, the left tackle for the Giants, um, he's a cancer survivor himself, and his mm-hmm. son is battling a disease. So you yes. know, it goes along with what you were saying. You know, everybody's situations are a little bit different. Former Panther. Uh, wide receiver Devin Funches, he's currently with the Packers. He opted out uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, one of his family members had COVID-19 earlier in the offseason. Um, Marquise Goodwin, I just saw him this morning on first take. Uh, he has a five-month-old daughter, um, and he's opting out, uh, one of the uh, wide receivers for the Eagles. So there, there's some there's some names. They're sprinkled in there. Starla Tulele for the Bills, former Panther uh, defensive tackle. He opted out. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, when he got drafted, he was ha- he had like a heart condition or something. Um, you mentioned Patrick Chung. That Patriots defense, it feels like I was looking at the guys that opted out, like Dante Hightower and, and uh, Patrick Chung. And then I went back and looked at the draft the Patriots had, and they drafted those positions. So I- I'll, le- I'll leave this opening drive on this. You played for Bill Belichick before Ty Poole. Is Bill Belichick the type of coach that would use this to his advantage to land someone like uh, Trevor Lawrence next year? Because <laughs> that's the rumor. That's the rumor that's going around that Bill Belichick has told Patrick Chung and Dante Hightower and some of these guys on his defense, hey, 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 go ahead and take the year off. We're good. We're good. We're going to let these rookies play. And then that way they're kind of, quote, unquote, tanking without tanking so they can land Trevor Lawrence last year. Can you poo-poo that entire rumor right now, or or can you not? Because <laughs> I'm not, no, be honest with you, I'm not even going to touch that foolishness and uh, everything like that. I'm like, it's like it's like Herman Edwards said, you play the game to win. Exactly, you play the game to win, and I'll leave it like that. So I don't think you know people go in and say, okay, hey, I I, I don't believe in that. Um, but I will say this: players do have an option. They uh, have until August 3rd, I believe, uh, to uh, decide whether or not they're going to opt out. So, you know, this yeah. list, as you said, could expand more and more and more. Uh, but at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for your health, especially if you have underlying uh, ailments or if someone in your family has underlying ailments. And all of the course is predicated on finances because, you know, the more COVID uh, slams uh, the human body, it touches also the uh, fiscal, the financials of this country. And that's why you see a lot of people needing stipends, not talking about athletes, but people in general, just the world, people need income. So a lot of these decisions are going to be made not only based off of physical, your health, but also your financials. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, that deadline that you mentioned is actually coming up here the beginning of this uh, upcoming week. So as people begin to listen to this podcast, uh, as they start their work week, um, that deadline will be coming up real soon. So if we're going to have a glut of players opting out, it's going to probably take place over this weekend as they report to training camp across the country. Uh, the Panthers, not at Wofford College, in Charlotte, basically in their own backyard, uh, starting the 2020 training camp. Speaking of which, Elena Getzenberg from the Charlotte Observer, uh, the beat writer for the Carolina Panthers, she's at training camp 
at Bank of America Stadium. We'll ask her about the, the kicking situation with the Panthers. We'll talk about Jordan Mack opting out and just the feel around training camp as we uh, start what many consider to be one of the weirdest training camps in Carolina Panther history. Uh, you are listening to Desmond Johnson and Tyro Poole. This is the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated, you never use it. That's exactly the type of system SimpliSafe has spent a decade fighting against. SimpliSafe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24-7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Head to SimpliSafe.com forward slash team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's SimpliSafe.com slash team. It feels good to fear less. And welcome back to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Desmond Johnson. I have with us uh, someone who has the honor of being known as the first guest ever on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast, uh, Carolina Panthers beat writer for the Charlotte Observer, Elena Getzenberg, uh, at training camp in Charlotte right now. What's going on, Elena? How are you doing? It's quite the distinction. I'm very happy to have that honor. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to give that to you every time you come on now. That's like your thing. It's going to be on your name tag. So. Well, I like that. I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me back. I'm feeling, you know, I'm hanging in. I feel like everyone's kind of in that spot, but... Happy football's kind of getting going. But, yeah, thanks for having me. So I, I know you're super busy. Training camp just start. well, kind of started. We'll go into that a little bit. It, it, it kicked off this week. Um, a little different. Uh, I noticed uh, your compadre at the Charlotte Observer, Scott Fowler, had wrote an article uh, this week basically saying that this year is probably the weirdest training camp in the history of the Carolina Panthers franchise. And uh, we'll get into why here in just a bit. But there were a couple of transactions I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, some articles that you wrote for the Charlotte Observer this week. Uh, and people uh, definitely go follow Elena. You can read her work uh, on the Carolina Panthers at charlotteobserver.com. Starting off, uh, kicker Graham Gano uh, was released on Thursday. Eight years in Carolina. I didn't realize he had been here that long. It didn't really feel like it. Uh, I, I know he's had some leg issues. He missed the last four games of 2018. Didn't play at all last year. Um Tell, tell me a little bit about Gano's release and the Panthers' plans to replace him, because I know that they had added on a, uh, a kicker uh, this week as well. Yeah, so, I mean, I think when it comes to Graham Gano, I think with the amount they were paying him and having Joey Sly on the roster from last season, when he missed, he missed all of last year because of this leg injury that had been there during the 28th season on his left leg. And I think when you think of, like, it seemed like this was Joey Sly's opportunity here. I was a little surprised they chose to move on from Graham Gano as early as they did, to be honest, just because I thought they might, you know, see how Joey Sly does in camp a little more. But I think for them, it was they saved money, you know, when you can save money against the cap and get – what I, they felt was a somewhat equivalent kicker, I think they're going in that direction. So, with someone like Graham, you know, he is healthy now. You know, he's going to be looking for another team. But at his age, you know, he's 33. He's he's at eight seasons in Carolina. He had a pretty good career, but, you know, I think they yeah. felt financially it made more sense to go with Joey Sly. And I wouldn't be surprised if they bring in another kicker um, for some competition in camp um, with Joey Sly. 
but they also addressed punter um putting michael polardi on you know he with his injury he tore his acl um so it's a non-football injury technically because it occurred before they got to camp um so yes yeah, so they're going kind of young at punter too with joseph charlton from south carolina so it's going to be interesting yeah i was going to ask you about polardi because when i read about it i, I can't wrap my mind around this that the idea that uh polardi was going to attempt to kick the shirt anyway with a torn acl in his kicking leg is that even possible <laughs> because it sounds <laughs> like it doesn't sound like it's going to work out well in the end if he had tried to do it but uh turns out that um he was placed on ir like you know like i said with the tone the torn acl and like you said undrafted rookie joseph charlton signed this week it does seem like from uh hearing coach matt rule talk about this uh training camp I know the Panthers are one of the few teams that because of protocols and whatnot, a lot of teams are splitting up into two separate kind of practice sessions, I guess. But for the Panthers, my understanding is they have like 90 players and they're pretty much keeping all of them because they haven't really seen any of them play yet. So Matt Rule kind of suggested he didn't feel right about cutting players that they hadn't really seen on the field. Uh, so the Panthers have a large contingent that'll be either there already or on their way there uh, going through uh, – COVID testing and whatnot to get into the building. And I wanted to touch on that real quick. Uh, Elena Getzenberg with me here on the Believe in Panthers podcast. What what does a, a Carolina Panther player have to do to get inside Bank of America to actually work out? Because I know there's a process that they're having to go through here uh, multiple days to be cleared. And I know the Panthers uh, COVID program or however you want to call it, uh, was approved by the NFL. So walk me through. I'm a I'm a Carolina Panther rookie. <laughs> what am I? What do I have to do to get into this building? What are they going to do to me? <laughs> yeah, you're going to get tested for COVID nineteen a lot. It's <laughs> 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 the main point of it. So basically, they changed this. So it used to be you had to test negative twice to get in the building, and now you have to test negative three times. So basically, how it works is. On the first day the players can report, a Panthers rookie will get tested for COVID-19, and then they go home, and they don't go in the building, and, you know, they just get tested. And then they'll come back the next day and get tested again. Um, and then on a third day, they'll just do virtual meetings. So all during this time, they're doing virtual meetings, even though they can't meet in person. You know, so much what they were doing, you know, earlier during OTAs. Um, and then after the third day of just virtual meetings, you'll come back for a fourth, the fourth day of the week and get tested for a third time. And if you test negative all three times, then that next day, that fifth day, you can then enter the building. So <laughs> it's quite the process. And then they're not like getting on the field right away. Like at first they have to get fitted for equipment and they have to get their physicals. And you know, this is a multi-step process. This is not simple, but I mean, it's all to ensure safety. And up to this point, the Panthers haven't had to put anyone on the NFL's no COVID list indicating they've had contact with someone who um, tested positive or they tested positive. So, so far, so good cross everyone's fingers, but it is quite the lengthy process just to get your foot in the door. Do, have you seen or have you heard uh, after talking to players and coaches so far this week as rookies are arriving uh, at training camp, any any talks about the other leagues? Because, of course, the NBA kicked off last night. They haven't had any positive tests, but they're in a bubble in Orlando, probably the most controlled environment that any pro league in America has got currently right now. Meanwhile, Major League Baseball apparently is on fire. Um, there's the Miami Marlins. I think they've added more people to uh, the list of uh, people that have 
tested positive over the past four or five days. I think they're up to like 19 or 20 right now. Um, some of the St. Louis Cardinals, I think today they announced the same thing. So they're having to cancel games and move things around and whatnot. I don't see that being able to be possible in the NFL. If we get to that same point where we're, you know, a week or two into the season and we start seeing COVID brush fires, I guess you could call them like across the, the map. Um, I know there's not really a, a well-known plan as to how the NFL would, would handle that. But what are your feelings about that? Like, what have you seen from players and coaches regarding that? Are they even concerned about uh, the other leagues and what they're going through? Or are they they just kind of focused on the NFL and their teams and the task at hand? Yeah, I think when it comes to, like, what's going on with the NBA and the NHL, like, those are both going well, I think everyone would say, in terms of COVID, um, just because they haven't had – they're, like, no positive tests at this point. So I think I don't think anything I've heard from the NFL, they're really looking at that so much now at this point because they're not in the same bubble-type setting. Like, it's just not going to be comparable. But MLB, I think, you know, Matt Rule was asked about it this week, and he was kind of like, yeah, we're looking at it, but, you know, you know, they don't want to make it seem too dramatic. <laughs> you know, but there are a lot of parallel. you know, there's a lot of similarities there when you think about, like, Yes, baseball is traveling more, but it's kind of similar in that, you know, these NFL players are going to be living at home. Their kids are probably maybe going to school, at, you know, and interacting with you, who knows who and and who's interacted with, you know, the friends they're seeing. So I think at some point there is this element of similarities to what MLB is going through. And I think people in the NFL have acknowledged that or but are hoping that their players will, you know, be smart about it and, you know, every Matt Rule said on, um, I think we talked to him Wednesday, but, he, but yeah, Wednesday, and he said, you know, the most important thing he's telling the young players about making this team, you know, it's being versatile in terms of playing football, but also just being smart and like making good decisions when you're not in the building. You know, if you're staying healthy, if you're avoiding large crowds, that's a part of making the team this year. So I think they're looking at what other leagues are doing, but they're also hoping that somehow they're going to be unique. And I, I'm skeptical, but I think what is happening in MLB is very concerning for the NFL. I, I'm a little skeptical too, and it's not really the fault of the players. Um, it's really more the age of this team. They're so young. This is probably one of the youngest Panther teams I can remember top to bottom. And I just I just remember what it was like. I'm 42. I remember what it was like when I was 24, 25. I have no idea what it would be like if I'm 24, 25 and actually have NFL salary in my bank account. So I I'm wanna, I want to get out. I want to go do something. And granted, it helps that there's not a lot of places uh, to go <laughs> because <laughs> things are still kind of closed down. Uh, but still, that that is a concern. I'm a little concerned about that because of the age of the team. Yeah. Um, with I Atlanta gets it. <laughs> with Atlanta Getzenberg here on the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast. Um, you can follow her on Twitter at A. Getzenberg and read her material uh, on the Carolina Panthers throughout the season at charlotteobserver.com. No fans at training camp, Elena. No preseason this year. Um, was your co- was your colleague Scott Fowler right? Is, is this the weirdest training camp in the history of the Carolina Panthers franchise? I would think so, yeah. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, maybe going back to, like, the early ones, you could say those were different. But I think in terms of, like, I'm sorry. Uh Sorry. Um, (laughs) um, In terms of, you know, just weirdness of it, totally. Like, I just think, like, you can't, I don't know, there's something about this. I mean, it's 
training camps in Charlotte, that alone is like a strange thing. So I think there's so many factors of this, you know, the players aren't going to be in pads until like August 16th, like fully there. That's so late, you know, midway through August, August 16th, August 17th, like that's crazy. So I do, I think this is going to be very strange and it's going to be something to watch to see how it all goes down. You know, I'm, I'm glad you kind of mentioned that because on one hand, it's like, the Panthers are a young squad. I mean, they drafted all defense on the, on the, uh, in the draft, a lot of young undrafted guys in here. And even the guys they kept are still relatively young. Christian McCaffrey turns 24 in this, uh, this season, Shaq Thompson, relatively around the same age, Kawan short. He's probably, I guess the elder statesman now uh, on this <laughs> team. <laughs> um, so they are very young, but there was something that coach rule mentioned uh, in his presser during the week. Um, about how, you know, in college, they didn't have preseason games. So, you know, this first week you roll out there and you kind of go. So he's coming in from that mentality where he doesn't know what he's missing. He doesn't know what it's like to be able to use a preseason game to prep. He All he knows is from uh, his head coaching experience in college in terms of being ready week one. Do you think that puts Carolina at advantage? Because some teams, there's some teams that use preseason for what it's for, which is preseason. Other teams, say like uh, New England, they kind of go three, four weeks into the regular season almost and treating mm-hmm. that as preseason as well. Carolina's never really done that. But this year it feels like, on one hand, I think people are kind of saying the Panthers are going to be shorthanded and they're going to miss out having those things there. I'm kind of looking at like they might be able to sneak up on people because there'll be no film. There'll be nothing really. Uh, who do you who do you really try to game plan for those first couple of weeks against this Carolina team? Because there's nothing out there for a team to really look at. Do you, do you think that it's an advantage or do you, would you say that coach rule is looking at it as an advantage as opposed to the talking heads out here who say it's going to be a disadvantage? Yeah, I will say there are very few things and I'm trying not to be too harsh when I say this, but <laughs> there are very few things that the Panthers have as an advantage going into this stream here. I mean, you think about what a rookie NFL head coach goes through and like, multiply that times 10 because of everything that's happening. But saying that, I will say that was something that um, Coach pointed out during, like you said, during his press conference this week was that, you know, that's what he's done all seven years he's been a head coach is have no preseason games because that's what they do in college. So I think, you know, it is something that he, you know, of course they would have been much better off to have the preseason games. But when you think about other NFL coaches who someone like Bill Belichick, you mentioned the Patriots, who's been doing the same thing for so many years, you know, it's a lot more drastic of a change than to not have those games. So I think, you know, for rule, he'll be, they're set up to be okay. You know, they, they won't freak out. They don't have to like alter some big dramatic plan that they do every year because it's all new. So I think if you're going to find an advantage in it, that is it in that, you know, he's used to, the first game being the first game, and they're just going to have to get creative with, you know, the NFL players. I think it's going to be a bigger shock to the guys like KK and, you know, people who've been around for a while. But, you know, they're going to just have to make it work. It is what it is. I got to ask you this question because I was reading your article that kind of detailed the process of what uh, rookies were going through in terms of getting in the building earlier this week. Uh, You mentioned something about contact or contract or contact tracers that the coaches and players are wearing those. Can you explain what that is and what it actually does? Cause when I read it, I was like, huh, I didn't even know that that existed, but uh, it, it sounded pretty cool. So 
What what is a, a contact tracer, and why are they wearing them uh, in the Panthers franchise right now? Yeah, so it's actually really cool. So a lot of NFL teams have got to get really creative in their facilities in terms of, you know, making it work, like social distancing. Um, Matt Rule said this week he wanted to make eight feet, you know, the new thing instead of six feet apart. So I think, you know, they're trying different things. So one thing is these contact tracers were kind of all the people in, you know, there's this tier program where certain people are allowed different access to different areas, but all of these people get um, in the facility, get these tracers that show kind of where they are and how close they are to someone else. So if they're closer than six feet or they're, you know, in six feet kind of from someone else, they'll like turn red, like they'll go off a little bit because they're saying you're too close. So it's interesting because then they can then use those, say, you know, one player was in the building and the next day he tested positive. Well, they can now see who that player was near the day before and, like, then test those people again. Or, you know, really see where they've been in the building. If there's too many people located in one area, how can they make that area better for social distancing? So it's something interesting. You know, it sounds a little creepy to people, I think, that where they are. They're, like, not wearing them outside the building. It's just something to see. Make sure people are social distancing as best they can because Bank of America isn't like the biggest NFL facility in the world. So it's just something to do to try to encourage social distancing um, and just kind of track where people have been if, you know, a COVID-19 positive situation does arise. Uh, on the line with us, Elena Getzenberg, beat writer for the Carolina Panthers uh, for the Charlotte Observer. And I wanted to leave you with this, uh, Elena. I'd be amiss if I didn't mention um, – that players are opting out of this uh, 2020 season. So far, the Panthers have only had one player uh, opt out as of this recording. That's undrafted rookie linebacker Jordan Mack. Um, He's the first Panther to do so. Do you expect more Panthers to opt out or any bigger names to opt out? Um, Or do you expect with the, again, the age of this uh, team, the average age of it's in the you know mid twenties. So there's a lot of younger guys and a lot of guys trying to prove themselves. So do you think the Panthers might be one of those teams that won't have a lot of opt outs because of that, or uh, do you think that's not going to matter? And do you think that we might see here over the weekend because the deadline is Monday, if I'm not mistaken, uh, some bigger names opting out and choosing not to play the 2020 season? Yeah, I think I like the way you worded that because I think that's something I've been thinking a lot about. Um, apparently, the opt-outs are like keeps getting pushed back a little bit. I don't know when it, it was Monday and then who knows. But, I mean, I think for the Panthers, when you think about it, Jordan Mack opting out was a very personal decision. Um, he was an undrafted linebacker out of Virginia. He's the only Panther that's opted out so far. And I think that's the an outlier. You know, you're not going to see – For undrafted guys to opt out of their first NFL season, you don't know the repercussions. You don't know if you're going to get another chance, um, if that team's going to want you back. So I think I completely kind of agree with what you were saying in that this team is younger. So for them, a lot of these players, it doesn't make sense to opt out because this is your opportunity. You don't have all that money you've earned or wins or experience to kind of back you up. This is your opportunity. So I think – that is going to make less Panthers opt out. And I don't know for sure if no other Panthers will opt out. I think the more NFL players that opt out, the more maybe guys who weren't thinking of doing it will now reconsider um, just because if it seems like, okay, why are people making this decision? You think about it more. Um, But I think one thing with this team is there won't be like a huge cluster. Like I just don't think that's going to happen 
based on the age and experience level on this team, it just doesn't fit what they have going. And uh, we'll we'll kind of see really as we get into next week and veterans kind of get in the building, go through the process as well, um, and really I guess start to implement some of uh, the the culture and the scheme that uh, first year head coach Matt Rule is looking to implement on this franchise as we begin this new chapter in Carolina Panthers history. New head coach, new coordinators, new really everything. Um, even training camp being new, actually being at home as opposed to across the state line at, uh, at Wofford. So uh, looking forward to this season starting. Uh, my fingers are crossed as I say that because um, <laughs> we still don't know exactly what's down the road. But so far, so good. The NFL, you know, the train is still moving down the track. Um, please follow Elena over on Twitter, A. Getzenberg, uh, to get the latest news and updates uh, really daily. Uh, from her and the fine folks over at the Charlotte Observer. Elena, I really appreciate you coming on to the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast again uh, with us, our first guest ever. And <laughs> I will, <laughs> and we will definitely talk to you again uh, here as we get closer to the season. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Everyone enjoy training camp finally started. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, that is the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast for this week. For Tyrone Poole, I'm Desmond Johnson. We will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.